Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. In his essay on fairy stories, J.R.R. Tolkien is going to make a very interesting set of remarks in the course of discussing the origins of fairy stories. And he's going to talk about three faces of this type of narrative. So what are these? Well, here's how the passage goes. He's talking about the mythology and, you know, the idea of divinity and the supernatural. And he says, these things have in fact become entangled or maybe they were sundered long ago and have since groped slowly through a labyrinth of error, through confusion, back towards refusion, coming back together. And then he says, even fairy stories as a whole have three faces. Well, what are these? So there, you could say the three M's, the mystical, the magical, and the mirror. So what are each of these? He tells us that there's the mystical towards the supernatural, the magical towards nature, and the mirror, there's a little bit of a lack of parallelism here, the mirror of scorn and pity towards man or towards humanity. So three different faces, three different functions, you could say, of the fairy tale narrative, three different ways in which it can be connected with other matters. So the mystical connections to mythology, as he's going to have pointed out and point out some more in this, in the mirror of scorn and pity towards humanity, it can include satire, which he's already discussed a little bit earlier in the work as one of the purposes of fairy tales, certain fairy tales at least. And he pointed out that the one thing you can't satirize is the magic, or as he's going to call it a little bit later, the enchantment, right? So each of these is, you could say, a legitimate mode, or as he's going to call it, a face turned towards something that we find in the fairy story. He tells us, though, that the magical is the one that is the essential face of fairy, right? Not of fairies as such, but of the realm of fairy that in his view is the best way to understand what a fairy tale is. So these other two faces could be involved. And in fact, they often are, as he tells us, the degree in which the others appear, if at all, is variable and may be decided by the individual storyteller. So you can have fairy tales that are entirely driven by this magical aspect or dimension and are not interested in the mystical and the supernatural or are not interested in making, you could call them biting harsh judgments and extending pity towards humanity. 
On the other hand, you can have these. As he points out, he tells us that the magical, the fairy story may be used as a miroir de l'homme, right? A mirror of the human condition. And it may, but not so easily, be made a vehicle of mystery. And he says this is at, at least what George MacDonald attempted, achieving a stories of power and beauty when he succeeded, as in The Golden Key, which he called the fairy tale. And even when he partly failed, as in Lilith, which he called a romance. Now, this is an interesting passage, and I think that it's pregnant with a bit more when we read other parts of this essay in relation to it. So if we backtrack a little bit, we find him saying that an essential power of fairy is the power of making immediately effective by the will the visions of fantasy. Now, he points something out quite important here, and fantasy is a term he's gonna use quite a lot in the essay. Not all are beautiful or even wholesome, not at at any rate, the fantasies of fallen man. And he has stained the elves who have this power in verity or fable with his own stain. This aspect of mythology, sub-creation, rather than either representation or symbolic interpretation of the beauties and terrors of the world is, I think, too little considered. Is that because it's seen rather in fairy than upon Olympus? Now, this touches on both the non-essential sides. So, you know, fairy tales can be focused upon and oriented towards a fallen world, a damaged world full of broken human beings who don't even realize that that's the case, blind, driven by their desires. Like he says, the fantasies of fallen man, right? It can also, in this sub-creation, right? The secondary worlds that are generated be turned towards the supernatural, something that could explain, could redeem, could damage even further, depending on what sort of thing we're talking about. He says this aspect of mythology, sub-creation is too little considered. So that's worth thinking about in terms of these faces that the story turns And you think about how we grasp this. When we're following out the story, we are reading something that is turned in a magical dimension towards nature, right? We're not performing magic, but we're engaged in something like that. And we also get to see ourselves as human beings, and we can also get to see something greater, something that we're connected to. He also talks about this a little bit later in the essay in a way that I think is quite useful as well. He tells us that Fantasy is made out of the primary world, but a good craftsperson loves his material and has a knowledge and feeling for clay, stone, and wood, which only the art of making can give. We get to know this really pertains towards the natural, right? He says, by the forging of Graham, this great sword, cold iron was revealed. By the making of Pegasus, horses were ennobled. By the trees of the sun and moon, root and stock, flower and fruit are manifested in glory. And he says, and actually fairy stories deal largely, or the better ones, mainly with simple or fundamental things untouched by fantasy. But these simplicities are made all the more luminous by their setting. And here he does, he's going to talk about nature. He says, for the story maker who allows himself to be free with nature can be her lover 
and not her slave. It was in fairy stories that I first divined the potency of the words and the wonder of the things such as stone and wood and iron, tree and grass, house and fire, bread and wine. A very interesting self-disclosure there about the capacities for this essential dimension, this essential face of fairy tales to reveal on Tolkien's part. He also says something else that I think is quite important. A little bit later than making this distinction, he's going to say, well, you know, I used the word magic. Really, that might have been a bit of a mistake here, right? He says, we need a word for this elvish craft, but all the words that have been applied to it have been blurred and confused with other things. Magic is ready to hand, and I have used it above but I should not have done so. So magical face towards nature revealing to us what's actually there, not just engaging in some fantasizing about stuff, but revealing to us the primary world of nature that we exist within. That's a, a fundamental dimension. So he says, I shouldn't have used magic. Why? Magic should be reserved for the operations of the magician. Art is the human process that produces, by the way, secondary belief. Art of the same sort, if more skilled and effortless, the elves can also use, or so the reports to show. But for the more potent and specifically elvish craft, I will, for lack of a less debatable word, call enchantment. So that's what's really central to this. He tells us enchantment produces a secondary world into which both designer and spectator can enter to the satisfaction of their senses while they are inside, but in its purity, it is artistic in nature and purpose. So enchantment is oriented by this, we could call it communicative dimension, but not just any sort of communication, communication of what is really there in its whatness, you could say, right? Going on, he says, magic produces or pretends to produce an alteration in the primary world. It does not matter by whom it is said to be practiced, fey or mortal. It remains distinct from the other two. It is not an art, but a technique. Its desire is power in this world, domination of things and wills. And so he says, to the elvish craft, enchantment, fantasy aspires. So fantasy is one of the key dimensions that he's been discussing here. And he says that at the heart of many man-made stories of the elves lies open or concealed, pure or alloyed, a desire for a living, realized sub-creative art, which, however much it may outwardly resemble it, is inwardly wholly different from the greed for self-centered power, which is the mark of the mere magician. So instead of talking about the magical face, he could have talked about the face of enchantment that is turned towards nature in these fairy stories. Or we could keep on using the term magical here, understanding that it's distinct from the craft or technique of the magician. All three of these are important faces that we find in fairy stories, the stories that have to do with the land of fairy. 
And this one is the most central or most important one, but all three of them do get entangled with each other. And we can find stories sometimes where not only the one, but the other two are involved, or at least one of the other two is involved. And so I think this is a, a very useful distinction for helping us understand what Tolkien thinks fairy stories are really all about and what it is that they do and accomplish for us, their readers, those who enter into these secondary or sub-created worlds. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com slash Sadler. Above all, Keep studying these great philosophical works.